Welcome, everyone. This is all about Windows Phone Insight Podcast 174, recording this on Tuesday, the 15th of March, 2016. You had a, a succession of guests every other week, but as this is the every other week, we have Rafe Blanford with us. Hello. Woohoo, I'm back. Yes, big thank you to Matt for uh, stepping in at the last minute. Last week, I was uh, traveling away in Dublin for work and it just couldn't quite work it out, but I was determined to get back this week and uh, along with my co-host Steve, discuss all that's been going on in the Windows 10 mobile world this week. And I'm sure we'll deviate from the subject matter as we usually do, Steve. Yes, indeed. Um, and not just thanks to Matt, th- thanks to the other co-hosts who have been stepping indeed. in. And I'm sure all, while you intend to be here every week, Rafe, there will be <laughs> other gaps. So if anyone out there is a regular AWP reader, stroke listener, and would love to contribute and have their views and rants and thoughts um, broadcast, then do please get in touch. We'd love to have you as a possible guest in the coming months. And a big thank you. I think this person should probably remain anonymous who said it was very refreshing not having me on the podcast every week. And they really liked having regular guests realized what he then said uh, and actually said it said more about the guests than it did about me but i actually absolutely agree it's always great to have a bit of variety and it's been good having some different perspectives from both kind of developers and also of course the consumers and ultra consumers uh, that we've had in in previous weeks so as steve said if you're interested in being a guest please do get in touch Yes, um, I guess the biggest story to talk about, and I hesitate to give it that title because I think it's it's not a non-story, but I don't think it's as huge as the internet seems to have wound it up to be, is that uh, after a long, long period of transition, and um, the Here Maps suite, the Here Maps, Here Drive, Here Transit, which started out live in Windows Phone 7, has been transitioned up to Windows Phone 8. Um, and they kind of run on Windows 10 Mobile, but they're, they're not really supposed to, as uh, the Here Maps people have pointed out several times. And they've now officially said they're going to stop uh, um, promoting it in any way for Windows 10 Mobile. And that, in fact, as of, as of July onwards, it wouldn't physically run on Windows 10 Mobile anyway. And I'm guessing that's something to do with compatibility with Redstone. But also that they're, they definitively said that we're not going to issue any more app or data updates to the Windows Phone 7 stroke 8. Um, app and data, which we've kind of known for a while, while, Rafe, ever since um, the Here team got split split, split off first as an independent company and then bought out by this consortium of German car companies. It seems a million miles from the Nokia-owned Here Maps we used to have and even the Microsoft Here Maps we then had. So I I, I don't think this split split is in any way surprising. We really shouldn't um, despair because all that lovely Here Maps data um, is all being used today in the very latest Windows 10 maps. Nothing's really been lost apart from the physical application itself. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, there are a lot of ways to look at this, as always. Um, from the app point of view, I think some people will be annoyed that they don't have the familiar experience, and I'm actually quite sympathetic towards that as a as a pain point. And you could argue that there are portions uh, in uh, here maps that don't really appear in the Microsoft Maps version, and some people have been using features like My Commute or some of the other bits and pieces that I would say are maybe more esoteric or more specific to Here Maps are, are going to be annoyed by losing those. The ones I actually have most sympathy for is people who are annoyed that they're not seeing updates on Windows Phone 8, and that's particularly from a security or bug fixing point of view. But as you rightly say, that kind of ship has already sailed, and it's kind of an uh, inevitable reflection of you know when platforms get updated, kind of the older versions get less well maintained. Um, and there's been a particular issue here that it's happened very quickly because, as you rightly say, 
um, you know, Nokia kind of stepped away from devices and here Maps wasn't exactly an orphan division, but it wasn't really a surprise when it did get uh, sold off and, as you say, acquired by kind of a consortium of German car manufacturers. And so you take all of that together and then there's this news today and people are sort of going, oh, is that the Maps app being removed from uh, Windows 10 mobile or, you know, the car navigation or the public transport app? Um, no, the reality here is that you know, it's his apps, not the ones that are now built into the platform or Windows 10 Mobile. I mean, uh, Steve, I don't know how much you sort of looked at the various functionality and the sort of crossover here. Public transport is potentially one that um, isn't done quite as well uh, in the baked-in version, but I I suspect you're having to be quite fussy here to pick out individual bits of functionality where there's no comparison or where it really feels like there's something missing. I mean, is there anything in your mind that would fit into that list? Uh, the most obvious one for me, I mean, the My Commute thing is is interesting, actually, because I started to play with this under Windows Phone 8.1. Just after two years, guess what? I started to play with it and found some rather rather interesting features. But that is kind of covered by the live traffic Indeed. allowances in Windows 10 Mobile. So the most interesting thing that's going to be missing is probably the, uh, if you remember the rather pedestrian-centric nature of Here Maps, where you could sort of stand in the middle of nowhere and then lift your phone up and the sort of city lens thing would come into view and like an augmented reality. And that's something that the, the Here team was very, very keen on. That's never had a direct replacement, as far as I know, on Windows 10 Mobile. But there, there are all, I agree, absolutely accept there are probably half a dozen relatively high-profile features that were part of the Here experience, which are not replicated on Windows 10 Mobile. Map, well, Windows 10 Mobile Maps, or just Windows 10 Maps. Hey, it runs a laptop and a tablet as well. But there are also lots of things in Windows 10 Maps which aren't in here Maps and here Drive. You know, for example, the the Street View bit being built in and the the true live traffic and there a whole bunch of other stuff I've put up in articles on the site. So it really isn't a um, doom and gloom scenario. It's simply that things have transitioned. It's part of the whole OS transitioning, and Maps is going to be part of that, whether people like it or not. Yeah, I think that's right. So, I mean, really, the thing is here: if you're familiar with a certain way of doing things or a piece of functionality, you know, I'm not unsympathetic to that. Um, but clearly, that transition was going to happen at some point in time. Um, there's also the sort of argument around standalone apps, and some people find that uh, more convenient rather than having everything in one. Um, I'm personally the other way around, and I've gone back and forth on that over the years. If I'm completely honest, um, I think the wider story here, of course, is that people are kind of identifying here maps and all of those things as being integral to uh, Windows Phone, and they indeed they were for Windows Phone really from 7.5 onwards, but certainly with 8 and 8.1. But um, as we've sort of tried to explain here, Microsoft has almost taken over that role. And, you know, back when this all all happened with the kind of the knocking Microsoft thing, there were a lot of questions over what was going to happen in the mapping situation, because even then there were two versions of the mapping application. It's just that Microsoft hadn't developed theirs very hard. And I remember talking to the, the here people, and they were sort of talking about the fact that they thought they might continue developing and maintaining these apps kind of under license, and theirs would become the official version. That turned out not to be the case in the end, although I understand there was some resource sharing back and forth. Uh, but ultimately, we've come to the situation now where kind of Microsoft is fully in control of the Maps app. And so it's not really that big a deal that, you know, the Hero apps aren't available on Windows 10 Mobile because 
actually they're not the default anymore and it's kind of like effectively a third party app it's just because they've been so important so integral to the platform you know when you see this reported in the news i think people who aren't so familiar with windows 10 mobile may think this is kind of a bigger story than it might otherwise be i think the other angle we have to consider here is himaps has of course made versions available for other platforms including android and ios and they're kind of notably silent on that Although my suspicion would be that um, these will probably go away in time because I don't think that here as a company now wants to be in the business of providing kind of a client to the front end of its maps. Actually, it's going to be all about being a maps licensing business. It's kind of going back to its roots with uh, Navtech, which is the company that Nokia bought to sort of do what um, evolved into here and now has become as as we mentioned bought by this german car consortium and actually the reason that car consortium bought them is because the here maps runs in about 90 percent or so of the cars on the road with their sort of built-in mapping systems um google maps has made some headway but by far and away the dominant force in kind of automotive mapping and actually fleet logistics in general is here and that's because of the way it licenses its data and the way it means that you know it can get built into the kind of in-car systems of whichever car manufacturer you might choose where with uh, google they don't really have that same licensing in the sense that you can't take the data apply your own skin or your own color scheme and then put it into your own system you kind of have to have a version of google maps with the same kind of look and feel and for a lot of the car manufacturers, they just haven't been willing to give up that level of control. Uh, to be fair, some of them have done, and there are other products on the market as well. And I think you know they've actually you know, here, or, or as it is now, is has a battle on its hand. But the point I'm trying to make here is it doesn't really want to be a company that makes apps for end consumers on whatever platform. It wants to be in the business of licensing maps. And actually going forward, if you look at its strategic vision, it's all about kind of creating the world's best geo database. And the reason that becomes important is going forward, autonomous vehicles are going to have to have much higher resolution, much more detailed, much more accurate maps in order to be able to drive along roads. Pretty much all the current autonomous car technology is actually kind of based off following a car in front of you. So you've seen Tesla, GM, and a lot of other car manufacturers have kind of announced self-drive, but that's all based on using cameras and radar to kind of follow lane markings or follow the car ahead. When you get into things like junctions and navigating when there aren't other cars around, you're going to need these very highly detailed maps. And actually, that's something that here has been putting together and it's things around there. Um, true technology which they're actually using lidar to capture what they refer to as a point cloud basically a 3d representation of the world and they can do lots of interpretation of metadata lanes uh, signs and all that kind of thing we've talked about it before in the podcast and on the side and actually it's fascinating technology well worth a look and indeed a lot of other companies are trying to do the same thing so there's this race to become kind of the provider of data for autonomous vehicles and i suspect that's what here especially given their new owners is going to be most interested in as a result of that i think they will partly give up the consumer space uh, to google and i mean in one sense google i think has already won that battle on the web it maybe has to face off against OpenStreetMap and some of the other providers um as well but from the point of a consumer you know here didn't gain the traction outside the symbian and the windows phone platforms and i'm not sure it was ever going to against google when it's kind of strategic direction was in a kind of different focus whereas of course google is very much about that web and mobile product for consumers because it uses location effectively as a context signal uh, for search or for you know promoting local search so 
it, it's interesting when you look so beneath this decision, it kind of makes sense from a strategic point of view for here. And if it, this is the difference between them winning, if you like, in the space which is going to be all about autonomous driving, actually, I think that's a sacrifice they would gladly make. Now, just to flip that round the other way, they are going to continue to license this data to others, and that includes Microsoft, and Microsoft is going to use that for creating its own mapping apps on Windows with that universal app. There is a slight question here around, you know, is the emphasis on the data and the map that here is creating going to be slightly different? Is it going to move away from consumers? And we kind of already see that in some markets where arguably the sort of the data set that here collects and that Microsoft uses isn't quite as good as Google for, say, locating businesses. And that's particularly prevalent, I think, in the US, where I think a lot of people would argue that Google Maps provides a superior experience when it comes to locating and navigating to a business. I think it's less clear cut in Europe and some other markets. And I think probably uh, here, because of its origins with Navtech and kind of its around geospatial data, is arguably better at doing some of the routing and navigation. And it's certainly done a lot of traffic collection and that real-time traffic and routing around that. And again, that's because of its kind of history in the car space. And so, I mean, it's an absolutely fascinating one to think about because there's a lot more to this than just meets the eye. It's not just about making a map. It's about making all the information that then sits on top of that map. And actually, that's where the value is now because everyone kind of has a map. I say that Google and uh, here both have a map. It's then all the additional information you put on top of that map and actually describe that map in detail I remember talking to some of the here engineers who talked about how a junction had gone from having maybe five or six attributes, which would be, you know, how many lanes are there, you know, what's left and right, to now having as many as 200 attributes. And that would be measuring the uh, curve on the corner, all kinds of different things about the lanes, where the stop lines were, where you had to give way and, and more. I mean, I can't really think of 200 attributes off the top of my head, but those would be required, as I say, for things like the autonomous vehicle. So I think there's a wider story behind this kind of withdrawal from Windows 10 Mobile, which is, I think I pro- that's probably a record for me, Steve, getting off, off topic. <laughs> One bit of confusion that, that popped up in the comments, and I think I can just address that briefly, is that people are still getting confused, and it's, and it's understandable because the name's the same, between what used to be Windows Maps and then sort of Windows Phone Maps, I guess, and then Windows 10 Maps. Now, you might think, well, it's obviously the same app, just recompiled for a new OS. No, it's a totally different application. Mm-hmm. The old Windows Maps was very, very limited, uh, and to start off with, used different data to the old Here Maps. Um, we then moved through a situation where it was sharing data for a while and then the we now have windows 10 maps which is essentially taking the old here maps here drive here transit code that they're part of the assets that they acquired when they acquired that those parts of uh, nokia and here they literally acquired the source code and they used that as the basis to write this next generation windows 10 maps code which is nothing whatsoever to do with the windows phone 8.1 maps which i agree it sounds confusing but in actual fact it's a totally different app so people shouldn't just think okay well um we can't go back to windows maps it's terrible windows maps is not terrible it's it's this next generation client and it's actually very very functional as i've said in numerous articles even that the photograph which included in today's news story which is kind of a bit misleading really because it's showing a landscape ui and one of the things that windows 10 maps isn't terribly good at on mobile is actually adapting to a landscape ui you do get a bit of wasted space but i should emphasize just like the rest of windows 10 itself all of this stuff is now 
subject to updates and fixes and improvements ad infinitum into the future. Uh, this is a, this is software as a service, and Microsoft will keep updating Windows 10 Maps and updating it a lot because it's also common to all their tablets, laptops, hybrids, and all the rest of it. This is an application which has still got a long way to go, Ray. That's absolutely right, and actually it's probably worth emphasising. I think there's been more updates to uh, Microsoft Maps, um, or Maps as it's called, in the last kind of six months or since Windows 10 Mobile came along than there had been to here maps in the previous, I would say, as much as 12 months. Now, that's partly because yeah. the update cycle for here maps kind of disappeared. But even when it was being updated, we typically saw, I don't know, three or four kind of minor updates and maybe one big update to here maps each year. And I would say, I mean, again, this is because they've been building in new features and there's been more room to kind of do improvements. Uh, Microsoft Maps has been better in that sense. Uh, I, I would say that's actually more about the fact it's not quite so mature as a product or wasn't as mature. But, you know, I think the most recent set of updates was sort of live traffic cams and um, being able to pin favorites. So that latter one, which was available in here, Maps. So I feel like it's caught up. I mean, I don't use it as much as I used to for car navigation. I do use it for, you know, pedestrian navigation and public transport. And it hasn't let me down. In one sense, it's testament to what Microsoft has done with maps that kind of people haven't really noticed uh, all the problems around here maps on Windows 10 mobile because most people have been happily using the default maps application. And like you say, it's the underlying data, which of course is so critical in any mapping application is exactly the same. And Microsoft does has that long term license to use here data. And I mean, there was talk. Um, when Microsoft bought uh, Nokia's device and services division that actually they had kind of special rights to the here data so deeper than anyone else and I imagine that agreement is, is still in place and continues for the foreseeable future and that's yeah. why you've seen things like the street side imagery being able to be you know so closely integrated into the app experience. Yeah, there were, there were some comments in the thread talking about the satellite data. As far as I know the satellite data is not necessarily uh, this, this, the here, here maps and here drive satellite data. I think Microsoft, I should emphasize, has got license agreements with all sorts of mapping providers and uh, imagery uh, providers right around the world. And if you look, go into the about screens in Windows 10 maps, you will see a whole long list of them. And there's quite a long list. Here maps is, or here rather, I should say, is the biggest by far. But they pulled on an awful lot of companies for an all sort of awful lot of data, so uh, don't don't expect things to be exactly the same. But the the core roadmaps, the core street maps for most countries in the world will carry on being just as good as it ever was under here maps. I would say. Yeah, and we should actually say, it, in, in fact, it can be better because Microsoft has licenses for certainly in imagery, but I also believe in the uh, mapping space outside of here, whereas core here was tend to be only restricted to its own data set. So in some markets, you will get kind of better. Uh, data. I think that's probably most notably in public transport, where I know Microsoft has signed some extra deals. I'm sure some will be able to come back and say there's some where they're not doing such a good job because of the data provider. And that's kind of the, the problem here and always has been that none of these things have quite been universal. Um, and, you know, so that data and app feature set are being updated all the time. And it is noticeable that uh, Windows 10 mobile maps has actually added in a few things um, off the top of my head. I think it would be things like lane assist, for example, uh, that you know weren't in or weren't very good in uh, here maps. Um, there's still some work to do. I mean, I don't know about you, Steve, but I remember some of the early sat nav applications, including um, 
of Emaps as it then was on the Symbian devices. And that did things like live rerouting in response to traffic incidents. And that's the sort of feature we haven't seen come back in. And actually, uh, probably the best if you're kind of driving a lot and using SatNav a lot on your phone, it still comes from some of the standalone application. Copilot is a good example of that. But there tend to be foibles on every single one. I mean, looking through the comment threads, I know there were a few things about, uh, you've already actually mentioned landscape mode in the UI not being quite optimized. There's definitely still room for improvement, but it also is one of these app spaces that does seem to be very subjective in that there's certain features that some people are really keen on and other people don't seem to care about at all and you know which particular way things are arranged on the screen or whether you know your display shows you miles to go or time until your destination or estimated arrival time you know and some apps you know make that configurable some apps give you a bit of you know user preferences around that and so i suspect there's still a bit of work for them to do and it's true of a lot of the universal apps where it feels like you know it's great to have a universal app but there still needs to be some work done around the optimization for each screen size. Uh, I think that's probably the you know the benefit of universal app is you get them everywhere, and certainly I think Windows 10 Mobile has benefited from that. And we had more apps out from various people in the last few weeks, but it does also sometimes mean you you suffer from this UI optimization. Thing. But that's again, I feel that's being a little bit fussy. Yeah, yeah. By the way, um, Ovi Maps. I remember it when it was before that, when it was called Smart to Go. I did. Yes, that was the company that uh, Nokia bought the app from, and then they bought uh, Navtech to kind of be the the data. And it was called, I think it was called Nokia Maps before it was called Ovi Maps, and then it it, it became Here Maps later on. You can see why people get confused, can't yeah. you? In fairness, even I get confused. <laughs> we must move on, actually. There are loads of little extra stories to cover before we finish. Um, first of all, this is kind of a, offered a tangent, Rafe, but I did notice after a year of Windows 10 being trialed through this Insiders program, which is, you know, we're all seeing how the sausage was made, as it were, working through an entire operating system being built almost from first principles and getting to try it out, that the Android world and Google has followed suit. The guy they've now introduced for the Nexus devices, uh, uh, an OTA, Insiders OTA update program for Android N. So in exactly the same way, and I think they've just seen how well it's worked for Microsoft, <laughs> admittedly not in terms of market share, but in terms of physically getting feedback from real-world users as an operating system has been de- developed, as new features are being brought on board, getting feedback as to what works and what doesn't work. And they thought, well, this, this, is, wor- this is a really good idea. Let's take on the idea. And I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, uh, Google has made kind of preview versions available before but it's taken a bit of work to get them onto devices yeah. and you know now you've got the ota update in place i mean i think all of us would acknowledge we're far more likely to install an update if it's kind of just a a few screen taps to to get it working um and yes i think you're right i think it is probably testament to the fact that microsoft has kind of received perhaps somewhat quietly a lot of plaudits for making the insiders program work so seamlessly uh, and certainly it makes it a lot easier to try new versions of the software. It does feel like Android N is perhaps a little bit more mature than some of the early versions of Windows 10 Mobile were, so maybe Google not being quite so ambitious. Um, but having said that, it's a long time before Android N will kind of make it onto mainstream devices. I mean, that typically happens in the autumn, so, you know, we're what, at least six months away from from that happening. Um, there probably are reasons for that. I mean, Android N feels like a, a smaller update than uh, M was, and certainly uh, Lollipop was. Um, but nonetheless, I think you should still give uh, Google credit for kind of embracing this and for kind of allowing it to be very easy to get future preview versions of Android N, um, you know, as these maintenance releases uh, come out over time. 
Yeah, and you made the, make a very good point there that uh, you could actually previously do this if you were a developer and you went through the various control panel on the PC and you linked up in and routed the device and, and it was very, very fiddly. And, and you also lost all your data in the process. Now, they've just like on Windows 10 Mobile, which has now been going as an insider's program for just about a year now, which is quite impressive. So the very long time scale, um, you can now Android users, just as um, Microsoft users have been able to do, they can do it as normal users. They don't have to be anything fiddly other than installing an application and ticking one box, tapping one thing on the screen, and bam, they're on the very latest cutting-edge release. But uh, we should ask, say, for any Android people listening to this, it's only for, I say, just for some of the Nexus devices, and it's also highly unstable, but then... To be fair, so were the early releases of Windows 10 Mobile. So in exactly the same position, and uh, the insiders listening to this will know full well that you really shouldn't use these as daily devices until they've got at least sort of six months under their belt. Yeah, but everyone likes to, to live on the cutting edge. Uh, very notable with this one, actually, if you opt out of the program, you do have to wipe your data, you sort of reset the device again, similar to the insider's program. But again, that just makes it slightly more annoying if you're trying to live with it as a day-to-day device, and it does prove to be uh, too unstable. Uh, Not yet that much clarity around whether you'll be able to kind of restore a backup of the data. I suspect you'll be able to restore an older one, but probably not a newer one. So again, the recommendation, as with actually the early version of Insider, is kind of have a sacrificial limb, lamb, limb, of one of your devices. (laughs) Limb sounds a little bit extreme. Maybe the lamb thing is fine, although if you're a a sheep lover, I do apologise. Um, you know, put on a, is on kind of a test device. It, it is kind of more limited, as you say. Um, I would have thought most of the devices in this are probably people's main device. So it'd be interesting to see how many people take this up. Uh, I'm going to try and get this on a device just because I, I like seeing what's coming down the road. Uh, maybe report back in a future podcast. When you said sacrificial limb, I thought you were going for the old joke about giving your right arm for an update. <sighs> well, y- yes, there is that. But no, I'm, I think I'll keep my right arm. Thank you very much. <laughs> the whole principle, really, of actually, you know, having to wipe a device and hard reset it in between major versions of an OS, it absolutely stands. We've numerous times over the last year, I've said to people, look, there is a new build out. I strongly, strongly recommend you hard reset your phone and rebuild it just by resyncing apps and data because you will get a much smoother experience. And if I had exactly the same with this next news story we've got coming up, Rafe, whereby the the latest Redstone Insider preview build, 14283, um, is now out and it behaved absolutely terribly. On my 950XL here, it was running hot enough to heat my house and the battery was draining from 100% to zero in two hours. Um, and see, this has got to be, can't be right. I thought other people aren't reporting exactly the same. So I hard reset it. I've resynced my data, set up my accounts, and it's absolutely fine. And it's dropping at about 2% an hour. So it just goes to show what a good hard reset can do when you're playing around with these early OS builds. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Redstone obviously is like the equivalent of the early versions of uh, the Windows 10 mobile insider program. Um, and, you know, it sounds like your phone got confused somewhere along the line and, you know, doing the reset did sort it out. I mean, it is notable that um, this Windows uh, Redstone, I, I guess we should probably start talking about it like that. The current new features in it are relatively limited. Um, so there's some stuff in the, around the notifications. There's updates to mail and calendar. Um, they're talking about some things coming soon in the blog post that announced this, including I think it was the feedback hub. And, uh, of course, there's the usual list of issues. But I was kind of surprised in one sense, actually, the number of new features is relatively limited. But that kind of 
is probably not that surprising given the the path that Microsoft has moved to a pattern of continuous updates. And so it's not exactly an artificial divide between kind of Windows 10 Mobile and Redstone, but there is almost a kind of a line in the sand where where they're drawing it. And then as we go on, we'll see more and more features added to Redstone. What's going to be interesting is to see how quickly that then makes it back into kind of Windows 10 Mobile, the kind of the mainstream version, if you will. I think what we'll see is those kind of iterations will happen more quickly in the future. And that's what we mean by this pattern of continuous updates and so you know there'll be less of these big bang releases and actually the only reason there there is this kind of reference to redstone is it's just dividing it into phases if you like and actually it comes back into the mainstream versions very much more quickly than we'd ever used to so we'll kind of move move away from these idea of big versions and so uh, does that kind of mean, Steve, that it's less tempting to install something like Redstone on your device? Obviously, you've already done it, but for kind of the casual <laughs> consumer or even the pro consumer, you know, what would your advice be at the moment? Uh, absolutely. Keep it away from your daily device. Um, they, I've got a luxury of about 15 Windows phones and Windows devices in front of me, so of course I can try it. And probably many people listening to this have also have got that sacrificial device and are also trying it. I Just to clarify this thing about the, the versions and variants, they, Microsoft refers to them as branches, and that's the best way of thinking about it. Think of, think of it as a tree, and the, the threshold branch is the, is the old code, code name for it. The, the version number starting 10.5.8.6, which we keep reporting on, that, that is the stable code which has been refined, they're gradually fixing all the bugs, and that's the one that will get rolled out to all the old Windows Phone 8 devices. And, of course, the one that, that's the one that's going out to all the production, uh, 950, 650, 550, etc. This Redstone we keep talking about is a whole new branch. It's effectively taking the source code of Windows 10 as it was two, three, four, five months ago and working on it with sort of a next-gen code, next-gen kernel, all sorts of uh, fancy new ideas. But not trying to do anything new necessarily in terms of functionality, but trying to produce a whole new base which the the phones of 2017 and 2018 can be based on, and the hybrids and the ta- uh, and the tablets and the PCs and the laptops, all the rest of it. Um, so at any one time, they've got these two branches both going completely in parallel. Now, if a critical fix is needed, say a security fix, obviously that gets shared between both branches and it's implemented in both of them. But they are completely separate um, branches, and you could you could almost draw a diagram with them. And I think that we've uh, Microsoft has had a few of those in the past, which we've tried to kind of replicate. It, it kind of makes sense to to me, Rafe. It's not entirely clear exactly when we'll see Redstone and exactly when the existing threshold devices like the 950 will actually get bumped up to Redstone. But I'm guessing, uh, based on that here the here story, which referred to the end of June, that that at the very earliest we'll see it is the start of July 2016. And I I would probably put good money on it being much nearer Christmas. Yeah, I think um, so. Autumn timeline is more likely, but yeah, talking about it in branches terms is absolutely the right way. And for any of the developers listening to this, they're probably shaking their heads at us and going, "Why didn't you explain it like that the first time round?" And uh, absolutely uh, right. And as you say, that's the kind of Microsoft terminology now. And for you know people who aren't developers, actually, it's typically the way that new software gets developed, and that a, a branch will be split off and kind of development code and more unstable things will be happening in there. And at the same time, there will be maintenance on uh, an existing version. Actually, integrating those back together again can actually often be one of the challenges of doing development. Now, that's a massive oversimplification. Sorry to all the developers listening. But the reason for doing that is you can kind of test and you can put um, kind of early code on a version without it kind of being in that main consumer branch. You don't hold up 
you know shorter term bug fixes and stability releases to that that main release so it is the way to go and actually as you say uh, redstone is kind of that development branch now and the reason to do that is purely around kind of making sure that you can deliver software and the updates in a timely fashion as possible yeah absolutely uh, let's move on Ray. now london travel i reviewed this application late last week i was really quite impressed it gives you a complete sort of status overview and journey planner if you activate the in-app purchase right across the london public transport network um so there's overground underground buses and so forth um if only i knew someone who lived in london who could could approve (laughs) my results but i was really impressed i found it very professional it fully windows tenified if i may use that adjective um very graphical uh, very context aware uh, it gives you stuff that's around you and based on any particular point, the, the nearest bus stops, the nearest tube stations and what's happening when you get there. Very, very impressed. And I just wondered if you tried it at your end. I, I haven't tried this version of it yet. I mean, I was a user of the application when it was on its kind of Windows Phone 8 version and there was a long promised update and I never spotted it. And somehow I managed to miss this uh, coming out. So I'm going to go away after this podcast and immediately download it. Um, I have heard a few people talking about it and now I know the app that they're referring to. I'm feeling pretty stupid. Um, but yes, very attractive. It's visually very appealing and having all of the London transport options inside a single app is going to be absolutely fantastic. I mean, it is very complex to navigate around London, even if you uh, live here and going regularly, because you tend to be on the same routes all the time and you find yourself somewhere strange late at night and you're wondering which bus should I be getting on? And this is kind of uh, the perfect app for that. And uh, it's obviously still being actively developed and worked on. I noticed in the comment thread in your review of this, the review of uh, the author popped up to say that there's uh, some features coming around stations being able to swap back and forth. Um, and, you know, it, it's like any of these, you know, standalone apps that focuses on a single city or a series of city. Often you get a better implementation because it's tuned to your particular public transport network than kind of the generic one, be that here public transport or indeed Microsoft Maps that we were talking about earlier. And given that uh, City Mapper is such a popular app on other platforms, and that's done a great job of kind of tying together multimodal transport systems. And when I talk about that, I mean, you know, the tube and the bus and the river bus services and indeed everything else as well and some of the suburban and the light railway. It's really great to get everything in a single app. And public transport has got to be one of those really great use cases for a smartphone because evidently it has to happen most of the time when you're out and about and previously it would have required a bit of planning or looking at the tube map or anything like that but this does put an awful lot of intelligence into your hand and i know when i'm out in in london i absolutely rely on these apps 100 percent. so i can't believe i missed this one i'm really looking forward to having a play with it and and of course i think being a universal app i can also have it on my surface so when i'm doing the kind of planning ahead of time uh, I can get that in a familiar interface with the same app, and uh, that sort of speaks to the benefits of some of the universal apps on Windows 10. Uh, absolutely. Um, one thing I have been uh, doing to provoke provoke the masses, it seems, is doing another camera shoot out, Rafe, and these are always popular. Well, we've talked about this in the past, Steve. You know, you, just as it all goes <laughs> quiet, you do another one, and the email inboxes open up, the comments flood in, and, you know, you feel like... yeah. Okay, I probably don't need to tell you this again. We should, certainly shouldn't be saying this on the public podcast. But yes, I saw this one. This time it was Lumia 950 versus the Galaxy S7 Edge and the 1020, which I thought you sort of disappeared from your comparisons uh, after you decided that the, the 950 was sort of top dog. 
Yeah, but I get complaints, and and it's, it's <laughs> I get, there are so many people out there who are clinging on to ten twenties, and I absolutely understand why because I'm probably one of them. Mine tends to get put in a drawer and then brought out again next week when I realize, realize I can't live without it. So, it's an ever popular device. Um, the Galaxy S7 is interesting. Now, we, when we had think devices uh, that used Lumia Camera Five, so that's the eight thirty, the nine thirty, fifteen twenty, and now the new nine fifty, nine fifty XL, with these new uh, Microsoft. Uh, camera algorithms which very much emphasize a degree of sharpening shall, shall we say of, of producing detail which looks great on the phone screen and, and pr- pretty good on a on a laptop or hybrid screen without necessarily being a hundred percent true to the original detail the original image in other words there is an element of post-processing there that slightly makes it artificial but also very clear Whereas the 1020 and the old algorithms, and of course the Nokia 828 before it, very much specialised in ultra-natural results. And if you wanted it sharper, heck, you had to put it in a photo editor and sharpen it yourself. So if you think the Lumia 950 with this Lumia Camera 5 coat uh, cranks the sharpness up to 10, shall we say, 10 out of 10, the Galaxy S7, to quote a Mark <laughs> Homerism, cranks the sharpness up to 11 stupid. Um, the Galaxy S7 is produces a crazily sharp photo on the phone screen. I can see why they've done it this way you take a photograph and you go absolutely wow this is an amazing photograph and then later on if you're a bit like me you look at it on a, another screen like a, a pc on a 20 inch screen or a, a big screen tv and you think hang on a minute now, if you look at all the fine detail it's all artificial and blocky and pixelated and horrible and if you look at my article there the, 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 the photograph of the tree against the sky it's just utterly ghastly um, this is not to say that Samsung have got it wrong. They've obviously made a decision to do it this way, to get a particular effect for a particular audience. But uh, I have to say that if you're a classic pure view image, uh, image lover, a photography lover in the smartphone world, then you are probably slightly disappointed by the new uh, Nokia Lumia alg- algorithms. But you should certainly stay away from some of those <laughs> phones in the Android will because you'll be utterly horrified. And the 950 did and still won the test, even picked the 1020 yet again showing how close they are but the 950 overall overall scenes overall light conditions i think probably just about has the edge yeah i was i was honestly surprised by this because i saw the s7 launch in barcelona i had a chance to play around with one and i was really blown away by the camera and samsung i think I mean, would you say steve it's fair to say they've been getting better and better in the last few years and yeah now you'd hold them up as you know right up the top of the kind of that camera phone imaging tree and it feels like they've almost been too aggressive this time around i mean samsung does have form here i think they've always been one of the most aggressive in processing but as you say this this over sharpening in particular seems i don't want to call it a mistake because i think you're right it's a very deliberate decision and actually you can make a very good argument from samsung's point of view that you want it to have looking as good as possible on the screen of the phone itself because that's where most people are going to look at and indeed consume the images you know the number of people that actually take you know photos off their phone and indeed go as far as on you know printing it out i think are much reduced i mean i would guess that 98 percent of usage is on the phone screen itself now and then occasionally you might be putting it up onto a tv screen and actually again there you'll get pretty good results because people people won't notice when yeah. you do that kind of detailed looking at it and it is it is you know there is a great debate here you know it's around the old color saturation that you used to get from printed photos as well I still personally favor kind of trying to get a more natural looking approach. And I actually think 
um, uh, you know, and I've said in the past, I think Nokia probably were trying to be too much of purists and they're almost soft a little bit from that. And where they've moved to with the most recent batch of Lumia devices is, as you rightly identify, arguably something of a, a compromise or a move from that position. But it's certainly not as bad as you typically get from the mainstream from people like um, Samsung. I think LG is another one that's guilty of this. Uh, Sony seems to bounce around all over the place. Um, HTC, again, I would say they tend to do quite a lot of uh, processing. Um, and my view on this generally is I like to keep the processing to a minimum while recognizing that for the mass market, it's probably something that you need to do. Uh, so it, it's a tricky one. I mean, Samsung probably actually is right to do it here because of the uh, target market it's going after and the fact that people are just using those photos on the phones. Um, but the, the photo snob in me, if you will, definitely prefers the kind of the less processing heavy approach. Um, so, and I think this you know, camera comparison actually brings it out very well because you've kind of got the you know, a complete spectrum here. You've got the S7, which is very aggressive, the 950, which is sort of sitting in the middle, and the 1020, which was kind of in some ways the fullest extent of the old school Nokia thinking in terms of pure pure view and minimal processing in a very natural look. And it was very much a deliberate decision and philosophy on all parts um and you know apple did come along and i think promote very heavily the overprocessed look it's since stepped back more towards the middle ground and actually i would say the 950 and the iphone 6s take a very similar approach to processing and certainly of, of the, the companies involved now i i would say in terms of both the combination of hardware expertise, but also the software expertise, which I think is more important now, Samsung, Apple, and Microsoft are probably the leading proponents. And then, you know, you look elsewhere. I mean, Sony, certainly the experts ostensibly in the hardware arena. If you look at a lot of these uh, camera phones are using Sony imaging sensors or other components, but it's hard to think of another manufacturer who you really pick out and go, yeah, they've done absolutely great work or they've done something really groundbreaking and different um if you look at the pure hardware on the the samsung it should be amongst the best we've ever seen if you look at the aperture and some of those other details but it, it does just teach us i think as we've heard many times before that it's not just about the specification not just about the hardware it's not just about the software algorithms and the processing it's all of those things added together and it does feel like a, a lot of those combine to di in, in different ways in different circumstances. And I think this is evident in the different test shots you you took, Steve, with kind of the the differences, if you like, were more apparent in some shots than others. And so everyone's experience will be slightly different. So it's hard for one person to put their hand up and go, my camera phone is the best there is, because it is going to depend very much on what you want from the results, what you're going to use it for, and indeed what you're trying to capture. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, my 1020 is the best camera I've ever made. <laughs> I still stand by that, despite the fact the 950 pipped at the post. If you take away one or two of the more artificial shots there for real-world use, for real-world people shots, unless you're trying to take 15 photographs in, I don't know, four seconds, I think the 1020 still stands up there. But the 950 is so much faster. So I, I, I was going to say, and the S7 is really impressive in that regard, the speed yeah. of the focusing and the shot-to-shot -shot time on the S7. I mean, that's partly because of the camera technology Samsung's put in there and also the Snapdragon 820 is a seriously quick processor, which I'm sure yeah. helps with that shot-to-shot -shot time. And I, I would have to say, 
I've said it before, the 1020 for me is now unusable compared to most uh, modern smartphones just because of the performance characteristics. So I accept that, you know, in controlled circumstances, you're probably going to get a better raw image out of that than anything else. But actually, when it comes to real world usage, that performance, that startup time, that shot to shot time, that autofocus time, it really matters for capturing the results that you want. Heretic, burn the heretic. Oh. Yeah, all right. It's getting a bit, getting a bit warm around here. <laughs> um, no, I did have a last story, Ray, but I wanted to hold that for next week because I wanted to talk about the uh, Microsoft's new remote desktop, the universal version, which is, came out a week or so ago, and also um, talking about the, the whole concept of uh, Continuum and then it, it going beyond Continuum into perhaps running applications on your remote PC, which is running back at base while you're mobile, all of that sort of stuff. And that's very much paralleling what HP are doing with their Elite X3 system, which we came to. And we were going to talk about this. Then Jason, you were away and Jason Snowden came on to talk about it. We had a great conversation, but I still haven't heard what you think about Continuum and to talk around that topic with you. So unless something else major happens before next week, Rafe, I'd like to leave that as a possible topic and I'll say goodbye. Okay, yes, and it's a goodbye from me as well. Thank you as ever for listening. We're always interested in hearing your questions and feedback. And don't forget, if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch as well. But until next time, goodbye.